today is entitled, The Great Humbling. Several years ago, about five and a half years ago to be exact, I was up north hunting before we'd moved up here. But I was up north hunting with some friends. And I was drawn by God to memorize a certain piece of Scripture. And a lot of times God will put a Scripture on my heart and I don't know what it's for, but eventually He tells me. But he, I was in the woods alone and He gave me a Scripture. So you're sitting in a tree for several hours with nothing to do. It's a good time to reflect with God. He brought this Scripture to my mind to work on memorizing. It was in 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning at verse 6. Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To Him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. These are more than just power verses for me. They were and they still are very personal. This is where God was working on me. Beginning in verse 6, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. We are commanded to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Yet, what we learn is that if we don't humble ourselves in the proper way, God steps in to humble us. This is always much more uncomfortable and much more thorough. It is a necessary step in life of all who are called to His service. You see, I was fooling myself to think that I could humble myself before God according to uh, my time. You know, Surrendering parts of me that I felt comfortable in surrendering, and but holding back other areas or parts of other areas, and then downright failing miserably in other parts. The bottom line is, I was wrong to think that I could humble myself according to my comfort level. I had failed. And so now God stepped in to humble me. If you've experienced this before, you know it's a painful process. I've learned a long time ago that God uses me as a pastor to live out life lessons so that I can share my failings and my struggles and my willingness to trust God with the hope that others might be able to relate to this and draw closer to Him. Now I know some pastors like to share all their successes and all the occasions that God came through for a victory or just to give them a blessed week. But more often than not, these are not the kind of lessons that God teaches me through life lessons to walk through. I've learned that humility is more than just the word of, a day, word of the day for a good sermon. 
or a good teaching. Humility is where God has often called me to and continually brings me back to that place. In an attempt to be completely honest with you, as God continues this humbling process with me, let me explain. As a pastor, I'm called to a higher standard. God has called me to personally be completely sold out to Him in every area of my life, including my work, my family, my marriage, my extended family, my actions in public and my actions in private, my time with my friends, my time with people who are very challenging, my thought life, my free time, everything. We are not called to live our Christian lives in moments of Christ-likeness, but rather in a continuous stream of humility before God. Yet that is what I have struggled with. And I imagine that most people, if they are honest, are in the same boat. There have been times that I have allowed God to use me in powerful ways in ministry, in evangelizing in public, in witnessing to friends, in serving others, and in studying the Word of God. But I have also had too many gaps in my life where I have not completely surrendered my flesh and my actions and my thought life to God. And I'll tell you, it's too convenient just to say, ah, don't worry about it, nobody's perfect. Everyone sins and everyone falls short of the glory of God. Listen, God's not looking for excuses. He's looking for sold-out hearts and sold-out lives for Him. He's not looking for more people just to wear more cross necklaces and post more Christian messages on social media. He's looking for people who reflect His light when everyone is looking and when no one is looking except Him. He's not looking for moments of Christ-likeness. He's looking for a continuous life of surrender to Him. Now, it doesn't mean that we never make mistakes. But when we do, we confess quickly. We repent immediately. We turn from our sin and allow God to help us. And we stay accountable, accountable to Him and to others to bring about real change. Even though at times it feels like I spend a lot of time with God, my gaps are still there. At times I kind of become content with moments of Christ-likeness instead of giving my all for the One who gave His all for me. And as His Word commands us, we must repent. We must lay down our lives to be humbled so that God alone can exalt us in due time as He sees fit. If that due time is on this side of heaven, praise be to God. If it's on the other side, praise be to God. Regardless, God calls us all to be ready, to be humbled, and allow Him to complete His work in us. Because of all the stuff that we get exposed to and put on ourselves, it takes a long time to strip us of everything that gets in the way between us and God. When we don't do it willingly and we don't go willingly and completely to God, the humbling process takes a long time as He removes one thing at a time, showing us each thing that got in the way between us and our relationship with Him so that He can repurpose it or reprioritize or reorder our lives. 
Humbling is a very long process. So we are made aware of what we have allowed to affect our relationship with God. The more we are aware of each area that is out of balance, the less likely we will be to bring that back into our life in the future after we have been set free. After all, Galatians 5 verse 1 says this, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. We are commanded to do everything we can to resist the temptation of being pulled back into that old life of bondage. Even after we have been set free. We have to resist. We have to press on. And most importantly, we have to be aware of what it is that we have allowed to get its hooks into us and compromise our faith. Therefore, God, in His infinite wisdom and infinite love, strips us of everything, piece by piece, to get us to a place where we truly come into alignment with His Word and His will for our lives. Now, a complete humbling doesn't always mean that we have to lose everything to be at rock bottom. It simply means that we truly don't care if we do lose everything. Now, anyone can say that they don't care if they lose everything, but only God knows where our hearts really are, honestly, in this matter. Psalm 23 has to become more than a beautiful Scripture to read. It has to be ingrained in our very being. Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You see, many people, when they read that, they go on to the whole psalm because it's a beautiful psalm, but sometimes we miss those nuggets because we want to read the poetic form of the verse. Yet there's power in that first verse that sets up the whole thing as long as we don't rush through it. When we are truly humbled, we are not in want of anything but the Lord as our Good Shepherd to lead us and to guide us. Now we can still appreciate all the blessings around us that He brings our way. But if we truly are not in want, that we don't get discouraged, we don't get depressed or offended or angry or ignore our faith or our shepherd if we lose any or all of it. Between you and God, how close are you to being not in want of anything? but the Lord as your continual shepherd. To be honest, I'm not as close as I would like to be. And I believe we all would share a similar self-assessment if we were honest. Therefore, if Psalm 23 in its entirety is going to be our prayer, then we can't just skip over that first line just to get to all the blessings in that prayer. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Verse 2, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for His namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Such a beautiful prayer. Such great imagery of the promises of God. But these promises are only ours if we have been properly humbled to embrace and fully apply that first verse. Verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Because of God's great care and compassion, He gives us a choice. Either we can humble ourselves by learning from and studying and applying His Word to our lives the way He intends us to, or He will humble us. A few years ago, I went through an accelerated time of humbling. I had incredible injustices happening to me at work. You know those things that are not fair? Incredible things happening to me at work that I had to endure. I had problems with my children and my extended family. My car broke down. We couldn't afford to get it fixed. So I walked to work for a year. And the list went on and on and on. Sometimes I'd been able to stand strong and roll with the punches, but too often I had complained about it. I had not taken every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, as His Word tells us to do. And so God had to humble me, stripping away everything so I would be completely reliant on Him and be ever aware of His presence in all I do and in all that I experience. I believe all ministers go through this process several times in their lives. And one of the things I learned during this cycle of humbling was a major lesson in grace. But it was a perspective that I had never experienced before. I had always thought God gave us grace or second chances to succeed. But what I experienced about five and a half years ago was the grace to fail. Let me explain. I was up north hunting. I had been with my friends for the weekend, but they they had all went home early, so I had the last day all by myself. I was out in the woods and I thought, I'm just going to go up and spend some time with God. So I went in the middle of the day. Now usually when you deer hunt, in the morning or in the evening, but I went in the middle of the day. It was a beautiful day. Climbed up my tree, had them all set. It was back when baiting was legal, so I had a little bit of carrots out there. And I waited. I was working on that scripture. All of a sudden, a deer came in to my pile. It was 15 yards away. I was 15 foot high in the tree. So I got ready and I got my release on my bow and I pulled back, aimed. Just went right over its back. Now, usually when you hunt and you take a shot and it misses the deer, the deer takes off. Because deer are keen on their, what they see and what they, what they smell and what they hear and any movement they take off. Well, that deer just stood there. I thought, wow, it's great, God. I got another chance. So I very carefully reached back around to my quiver, pulled out another arrow, trying not to move, put it, knocked it into my, in my bow, pulled back again, 
whew, right under the deer. I missed again. The deer kept eating my bait, chewing on a carrot. Not only that, when I shot it, I had a metal release which hooks onto the bow to pull back, so you just got to pull like a trigger. After I said that second shot, my metal release fell off. It clanged on my steel stand and fell all the way down to the ground. Now, I had hunted for many years. If you just make a, a little creak in your stand, the deer usually takes off. A little movement, the deer, that deer just stood there. So, I reached back again. Got my third arrow out. Put it in there. Pulled back. I got it. I missed again, third time. The deer stood there. What's going on? Took a deep breath, prayed. Got my fourth arrow. Put it in. Pulled back. Missed a fourth time. This time, the arrow hit a tree and it, it looked like the capital letter N. It was all bent in half. The deer still stood there. Deer did not move. I don't know how this happened. So many times I've scared deer, scared deer away. Fourth arrow. I had one arrow left. All right, God. Shake my arms out. Obviously the deer's not going to see me, so I'm shaking the deer out. My arms out. I pull the fifth one out. Pull set. I missed it a fifth time. This is honest to God truth. I actually pulled up my camera and took a picture because I thought there was a ghost. I have a picture of it. In fact, in one of the pictures, this is so humiliating, I looked at it and there were arrows, the knocks of the arrows sticking out all over the ground. It looked like a dot-to-dot picture and the deer was right in the middle. It never left. It just kept eating like my carrots. And then this was the most humiliating part. The deer actually went down and started to sniff one of the arrows and he started to lick the end of one of the arrows. Are you kidding me? How much more could you humiliate me? And so here's the funny part, as if this wasn't funny so far. I I had no more arrows to shoot at him. So I figured, you know what? I'm going to climb down on the tree and get the rest of my arrows so I can take some more shots. So, this is honest to God truth. So, I get out of my, I put my arrow hanging up on the tree and I, I turn around and the deer still stood there. It's 15 yards away. I wasn't behind bushes. I had a clear open to him. I got onto my ladder and I'm climbing down. The deer still did not move. I got all the way down the tree. I was on the ground looking at the deer and he still was right there. So I started shaking the tree and going, ah! The deer finally left. I went and picked up my four straight arrows, left the broken one there. Climbed back up there. The deer never came back, thankfully, because I didn't want to have five more missed shots. But I thought, how could that happen? That's impossible. There's no way deer always take off. They always leave. I took five shots. I missed every one. I, I made all this noise. I climbed all the way down the tree. The deer, I, I never hit the deer. How, I, I thought it was a force field. I kept shooting my deer. The arrows all over the place. I don't know how that was possible. And I'm not, I was not an inexperienced hunter. 
I had shot several deer before. But eventually I realized that God had allowed the impossible to happen to me. You might think, how can that be a God thing? I'll tell you. It was part of my humbling process. It may sound strange, but I believe that God gave me the grace to fail again and again and again. Why would God do that? Because until we are completely humbled, until we realize that we are absolute powerless, until we finally comprehend that apart from Christ, we can do nothing and that we are nothing, until we realize this revelation, we have no chance in walking in the fullness of our calling. 1 Corinthians 1.27 I think he wrote this verse for me. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. You see, in God's infinite wisdom, mercy, and grace, I believe He uses the simple things of this world to confound those who have become too wise in themselves. And if we don't get the first hint, He turns up the temperature and gives us the grace to fail until we have been completely humbled. As far as my humiliation in the woods, I can laugh about it now. But man, was I ever depressed the next day. Depression came in like a freight train and steamrolled me over completely. I felt completely worthless, useless, discouraged and in despair. The thing about de- depression is that your focus is not just on that one immediate happening in your life. The enemy reminds you of everything wrong in your life. He continued, continually pounds you with despair and how there is no way out and how you are such a failure and how you are such a mess and how you are so unworthy. As a teenager, I had already spent several years in depression and subsequent counseling. So I knew all too well the debilitating feeling of depression. Now I know God is in control and I know Jesus loves me, but when depression hits you smack in the face and knocks you down and it keeps its foot on your back so that you can't get up, it is overwhelming. There are Scripture verses that come to mind that you can try to use. And I have often tried to use like Isaiah 59.19. says that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord lifts up a standard against him. There are times when you know that this is true, but just stating it in the middle of severe depression or extreme anxiety does not always help to take the edge off and bring peace. It's then that you absolutely need to turn to others to ask for prayer. I asked my wife at that time, and I asked a couple of friends to really start praying for me. Because I was really down. It was a darkness over me. We all need to be able to turn to others and ask for prayer when we are unable to write our own lives by our faith alone. 
However, it's really important, very important, that we don't confuse asking for prayer with seeking pity. When you ask for prayer but find yourself telling too much detail, too much of your story to the other person, you put yourself in a place to get pity rather than prayer. Receiving pity from others always prevents the humbling process. If you truly want and desire prayer, then just ask someone to pray for you to give you strength or to give you peace. No, I'm not saying that you should never share the details. But be aware of seeking pity instead of prayer. So how do we know if the prayers for us work? Many times we ask for prayer, but we don't really feel the sudden rush of peace or the strength to rise up out of depression or out of overwhelming anxiety. I have found that it usually takes some effort on my part to check the weather, to see if there's a new front of peace or strength moving in. When we are depressed and praying for peace or strength to come in, it is like trying to fly a kite every day. You see, sometimes there will be wind to pick the kite up, but you won't know unless you try. You have to make the effort to run and to get the kite up in the air. And if the wind is present and the currents that you can't see at the ground, but if the wind is present, it will keep it up and it will cause the kite to soar. But you don't know about the prevailing winds until you try to put it up in the air. I have found that strengthening prayer is like that for me. Prayer doesn't always pick you up immediately. You have to push through. You have to be willing to get up. And once you are up, prayer keeps you up. It strengthens you. It sustains you. But you need to push yourself up first. That is your willingness. That's what we bring to the table. We bring willingness to God. That's your response. That is your offering. Get up so He can keep you up. In the first couple of days of my depression after that event, I was down. And I stayed down because no wind of strength came to pick me up. However, once I got that revelation from God and I learned to stand up, to check the weather, and attempt to get my kite up in the air, I felt God strengthening me. I felt His arms around me. I felt Him holding me up and lifting me and sustaining me and keeping me up. I knew that the prayers of my wife and the prayers of my friends had worked and were continuing to work. Each day going forward, it was a little easier to get my kite up in the air. And even though a lot of my issues still continued, I had a greater peace about them. God doesn't always get rid of the storm around you. Sometimes He just works inside of you. I recently heard a girl talk who was stricken with cancer in all parts of her body. And she said, we can't just wait until life is no longer hard. We need to start being happy now. We can't just wait. 
we need to continue to push up and let God continue to lift us up. We need to choose to allow the prayers of others to lift us up mentally and emotionally and spiritually so that God can continue to cover us with His grace. 1 Peter 5.10 But may the God of all grace, who called us to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. After I had suffered a while, the God who gave me the grace to fail had now given me the same grace to arise and to stand in His power and in His strength. As God continued the process of perfecting me, establishing me, strengthening me, and settling me, I was determined to not get in the way this time. I chose to let Him completely humble me whatever it takes. How did I do that? Remember, I told you I was in the woods all by myself. My friends had all gone home for the weekend. Nobody had to know about it. But God was humbling me. So what did I do? I went to another friend who was hunting a little few miles away and I told him the whole story. He fell down laughing. He said, come here, you got to tell the rest of us. So I went to another hunting cabin and told them the whole story. Then I went to school the next day and I told all my students. Then I told my family members. Then I called my buddies who went home early. My hunting friends, think like, like, like I had to give up my man card to do so, but I told them what happened. I didn't have to, but God said, I want to humble you, so be, go willingly this time. I told it in church. I'm telling it again. I don't need to protect my pride. I'm freely being humbled so that God can have His way in my life and His will can go forth. 1 Peter 5.11 To Him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. As Scott comes up here, I want to just pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for this time. Thank You for this Word. Thank You for the Word that humbles us that brings us to a place of blessing, of You touching every part of our heart and mind that needs to be touched. Lord God, we all have failed. But we need You. We pray that You would move on our hearts and heal us and give us the strength to be honest and open with You. That we would humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that You would exalt us in due time as You see fit. Thank you, Lord God, as we continue to listen to the song that you continue to massage truth and grace into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.